I know as a journalist working for ABC, because I did at the time, and also as the spouse of a senator, I have my foot in two different worlds, seeing very different sides of what goes on in Washington. And I know the tricks. And because I know the tricks, I'm not afraid. And because the media doesn't scare me, and because I want to stop Joe Biden, I understand we have to take back the House. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Political Contessa. I am the Political Contessa, Jennifer Nassor. And with me on this episode, I'm talking to Gail Huff-Brown. She is a conservative working mother, journalist, and military spouse. She most recently served alongside her husband, Scott Brown, as President Donald Trump's ambassador to New Zealand and Samoa. While she was in New Zealand, Gail was elected to serve as the president of the Diplomatic Spouses Association. Gail is also a grandmother with a lifelong career of service. She worries about the future of our nation under a Biden administration, which is intent on eroding our freedoms at home and eroding our strength around the globe. I met Gail many years ago as she was a journalist at one of the larger Boston TV stations. And I was always amazed by her charisma, her beauty, her intellect, and her interest, and how well she always portrayed the stories that she was reporting on, which is unlike most of the mainstream media that we get to see today. Gail decided that she was going to run for Congress in New Hampshire's first congressional district to challenge a liberal Democrat and take back the seat and make sure that there's a little bit of New England that sees some red. So I'm so honored to be talking with you today, Gail. Thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you. And listen, all of the kind, kind things you said about me and in the introduction, so, so, so nice. Uh, I spent, yes, uh, 20 years working at the ABC station in Boston uh, as a news reporter. And I just want to correct you on one thing. You said that I w- had chosen to get into politics, but I have to tell you, politics chose me. I did not choose, nor have I ever hoped to be a politician or to get into politics. But when I saw what happened in Afghanistan and I saw what President Joe Biden was doing to our country, I had no choice. So I'm not so sure somebody chooses this. I honestly believe it chooses you. And I also had a really important other thing in mind, and that was that I wanted to get an important message out to women that, you know what, we're not going to stand back anymore. We're not going to stand back and be quiet and let men or let other women speak for us or let Democrats speak for us. We, as strong 
conservative women are going to stand up and show we're intelligent, show we know what we're doing, show that yes, we understand the direction of this country is headed in the wrong direction. And I do think it takes somebody who understands the media, who knows how to communicate, who knows what's at stake, who's been there. My husband, Scott Brown, has run 21 races. I lived in Washington, DC. He was a US Senator. I know as a journalist working for ABC, because I did at the time, and also as the spouse of a senator, I have my foot in two different worlds, seeing very different sides of what goes on in Washington. And I know the tricks. And because I know the tricks, I'm not afraid. And because the media doesn't scare me, and because I want to stop Joe Biden, I understand we have to take back the House. Listen, we're not going to get another president within the next three years. We're stuck with this. What can we do to stop it? The only thing we can stop it is to put a block on Congress. And that puts a block on his agenda. That's my goal. I love that. I love that. It's so exciting and so refreshing to hear, right? Because it's not that you're, you know what goes on. You've seen it on the front lines on so many different levels. And you know that what we're being fed today is all of this BS about how terrible Republicans are and we're against everything and, and we should be for everything. And why don't you just join the Democrats and be okay with our borders being free to everyone and anyone. However, you know, we're going over to the Ukraine. We, we have our, you know, we see what's going on in schools. My kids let me know what's going on in their schools and the agendas that teachers are having today. And you see kids that haven't been in school. You see kids who are committing suicide because they're so depressed because their entire social network had been taken away from them, right? And so there's so many women though, like us, who want to speak up, but they live in a blue state. They are surrounded by women who have been told by the media that the only thing important to us is reproductive rights. And if you are a Republican, you must be against that. And so forget about everything else. And so the second you say something about, I want to be involved in my kids' education, or you know, maybe we should be COVID testing, if we're testing all of our kids every day, maybe we should be testing all the kids that are coming over the border and making sure that they don't also have COVID. And yet, second you say something like that, you're pinned as a Republican and no one wants to have a conversation and everyone on the left gets their back up. And so I think it's important to have the conversation and say, I'm running because this is going in the wrong direction. I mean, we see what's going on in DC. We see what Biden's approval rating is. We see that Kamala hasn't done her job at the border. And what are the Democrats in the House doing? They're not doing anything. They're not, they're not helping us. So, and they're only helping themselves. So could I, I mean could I also add, and I, I hate to interrupt you, but I have a thought and and I have to get it out when I have it. And that is liberals have been using women in their uteruses and racism as weapons for decades now in order to win elections. My uterus, my gender is not up for political debate and it cannot be traded on a political spectrum. Same thing with race. When Joe Biden went down South in order to talk about the right to vote and got shut out by African-Americans down in the South who said, wait a minute, we know we're being used. Dr. Martin Luther King's own niece came out and said, 
the president is using blacks to get his agenda across. This is not okay. This is not the character of a commander in chief. And we expect, we have to expect more than this. This is America. We are the greatest nation in the world. Our standards are very, very high. And if our commander in chief can't meet our standards, he does not deserve to be there. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't, and I, I am glad that we see what's going on, that people are starting to recognize it, right? Even his own party is starting to recognize that he is not a leader. Like you said earlier, we're not going to get a new president in three years, right? We're stuck well, we with might. Him. It might be well, Kamala. Oh, God, Kamala help Harris. us. God, help no, no, us, Kamala. Okay, okay so, if, so if it's not Joe Biden or Kamala, it's going to be Nancy Pelosi, who, no. by the way, she just decided miraculously she's running again when she already said she was going to retire. Why is she running again? Because she is hoping against all hope that everything hits the fan and she ends up as the de facto president. Oh, I, I, you know, it's almost like you're giving worst case scenario over worst case scenario over worst case scenario. Well, you know, listen, I'm a reporter. I'm cynical. <laughs> I'm a reporter. I gather lots of information. I research everything. I know what I'm talking about before I talk about it. I'm very careful about the words I choose. I'm deliberate about the things that I research and the information that I gather so that I can share that and I can help people to better understand the world that we live in. And that is the job of a journalist. That is a, our job. And that's the kind of skill and that's the kind of determination that I want to bring to Washington. The one that says, you know what? No, Joe, say no to Joe, no to the higher taxes, say no to the spending sprees that don't end, say no to the vaccine mandates. The Supreme Court said no. They knew from the very beginning, and I suspect he knew as well. But anyway, he's a bully. He got people vaccinated. He did it in an ugly way. But even the Supreme Court said no to Joe. No, Joe, you can't do that. We have to stand up because our very democracy is at stake right now as Joe Biden and his administration stomp all over it, whether it's on the border whether it's in our taxes and our social welfare systems. Look at what happened with energy. We were energy independent under Trump, energy independent. Now we're about to possibly, I hope not, get involved in the situation in Ukraine and Russia. Don't tell me oil is not involved there. Oil is the root. Oil equals money. Money is the root of all evil. And that is the case. So here we go. Now we're gonna get involved in this because we're not energy independent. I suggest if we still were, we wouldn't be in this position today. Mm, that's actually a really great point. I was talking to someone last week, I can't take credit for this, but being a cynical politician myself, he made a really good point and said, isn't it interesting how there are now lines, there are lines for vaccines, there are lines for COVID tests, there are people looking for food, there's no food on shelves. There are people who are staying at home. They don't want to work. They're waiting for more money from the government. Huh, doesn't that sound like Russia, right? Are we getting trained here? Are we getting brainwashed that everything is now a wait? Going to the gas station, I'm just waiting for this to happen and it'd be like the 70s again where we're waiting online for gas oh, for don't remind hours. Me. <gasps> but I mean, but going to the pump and yes, I do have a big SUV because I have a lot of kids and I have two dogs and you know I need it. Going to get gas, I feel like I feel like I'm being extorted these days 
right? The prices are, are out. You are. You are being extorted, <laughs> right? I mean, truthfully, you are, but by your own government, by your own government. That's the sad thing. You know, as long as you're talking about supply chain, because this falls into the whole, you know, oh, supply totally. chain issue. I want to share something with you that just broke my heart. I, I have a new granddaughter. She's 10 months old. Her name is Cece, Cecilia Gale. So she has my middle name. Aww. So you know, obviously I'm, I'm very partial. But anyway, I take care of Cece a lot and I have her every Tuesday. So Tuesday is uh, Gigi and Cece day. And my daughter says to me, mom, the closest I can get baby formula is 200 miles away. I said, what do you mean? She said, Kmart, Walmart, CVS, Rite Aid, every single store is out of it. I went on Amazon. They said they can't get it for several months. I called around and found out the closest store was 200 miles away to get baby formula for my little granddaughter. I was furious, furious. I, I don't even know what to say. That's What do you say? How? A mother can't How? get formula for her baby? I mean, this wow. is absurd. This is absurd. What's crazy too is that you're all educated. You yeah. have yeah. access. Could you imagine yeah. if you were, I look around and say, okay, I'm an educated woman. I have access to people who, if I don't know something, I can make a phone call or I could text someone, right? I could say, hey, where do I find your baby formula? Right. Could you imagine if you were someone who one, didn't have a helping hand, two, didn't have access, didn't know. And this is what the government that you entrust, that you believe that they're protecting you. And this is what happens. We've Getting to this point this. is disgusting. And they can't We've blame the past administration this. for this. No. This is this administration's fault. This is this administration's part. And, you know, I and I see it coming and you do, too. We're already seeing it in the mainstream media. Oh, this is all because of COVID. This is all Macron. No, no, no. This is Joe Biden. This is his policies. This is flooding money onto the market in yet another relief plan causing inflation to skyrocket. This is a misinformed administration that is making this, well, frankly, new mistakes every day and can't seem to stop the train, even though the public is saying, no, Joe, no, no more, no more. And so where does it stop? Where does it stop? Thankfully, listen, I mean, I can afford to get in my car, fill it up with gas, drive down 200 miles and pick up baby formula. But you know what? It takes one can last three days. Right. Okay. No place is going to let you buy more than two. Right. So six days, I drive 200 miles, I get six days worth of formula. And then what do I do? I mean, we are now looking at completely changing this baby's diet and putting her on and she has she has you know food allergies and all sorts of medical issues and i mean you can't just like change a baby's formula overnight it's not that simple when they have certain medical issues so it's just my own little anecdotal story about feeling the frustration of needing something not wanting something i'm not talking about wanting a new bicycle or wanting it's you know a, a new dress or wanting something i can't get at the store i'm talking about needing something and not being able to get it and that's a scary thing and we have never been in that position in this country ever I, and i think i mean i i go back to 
this is where the balance of power comes into play and becomes really important. And yes, everyone loves to win, but there's this little thing called democracy. Yeah. And in a democratic- Very inconvenient it's, sometimes. It's very inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice when, and I think history suggests that the party in power then loses one chamber of Congress come the come the midterm elections, and that the House is usually the one that sways and swings over. And so I think it's important for people that we talk to all the time to explain that this isn't a Republican takeover. It's a balance of power. It's being able to have these conversations and say, who is watching the shop? Who is making economic decisions? Pete Buttigieg was off on paternity leave when all the containers were stuck in California and New York and weren't coming in. Secretary of Transportation, pay attention, right? I mean, we've been on maternity leave and still you're paying attention to your job. Make those things move, get them back, get people back working, get those things back in stores, be able to have diapers and formula for babies, the vaccine mandates. This is another, right? People stopped working because they were mandated to get a vaccine. If you're in a company of hundred people or more, they're mandated to get a vaccine if they worked for the federal government that made people stay at home and not work government. Then he comes back out and every other day, it was like when he was changing his underwear, he woke up and said, why don't we throw another $2 trillion out there? And just maybe that will help. And in the meantime, is anyone paying attention to the trillions of dollars that your kids, my kids, grandkids are going to be in debt in the future? Oh, no one is, which is no, why we no need one. that goes to the balance of power. We need people who are in Congress, who are smart, who aren't afraid of asking questions. And by the way, not there for their own ego. They're there for the right reasons. They're there to make a difference. And I think that's why you felt that calling because well, you I don't have an see ego. so many people. Right, <laughs> you exactly. can't have an ego when you're a, when you're no. a news reporter. You can't have an ego because you have to be able to ask questions. You have to be able to approach people. You have to be. You have to walk into uncomfortable situations. You have to constantly expose yourself to the very worst of humanity. That is the truth of that job. So. To have an ego would be absolutely counterproductive to the job of a journalist. Listen, I was on television for 30 years. The last thing I want is to be on television. I want to be a grandma. <laughs> I want to be a grandma. I don't want a political career. I had my career. But I want my granddaughter to get the same American life I got. And that is freedom to speak, freedom to say God in public, freedom to hang a flag on our house, freedom to tell her neighbor that, uh, you know, she isn't vaccinated and the person doesn't run away. I mean, just the freedom to be herself. That's what we're losing. That is what we are desperately losing. And that scares me as somebody who has spent my entire career protecting freedom of speech, protecting the right for people to speak out, protecting people's voice, and especially those who couldn't speak for themselves. I was their voice. And that's what I'm trying to do now for my granddaughter is be her voice because I'm not going to be around, you know, when she gets to be my age, obviously, you know, but what I can do is help right now to keep our country moving in the direction that we want, which is freedom of speech, 
freedom of religion. That's what we were founded on. If you don't like freedom of religion, guess what? Go back to the UK or go to some other country where they don't believe in that. That's fine. But if you want to live in America, that's what we were founded on. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, free enterprise, democracy. That's what I want for CC. It's, it's amazing when people come here, come to the U.S., and I'm not, I'm not talking about the border issues, but, you know, my, my grandparents immigrated from Italy and from Sicily and from uh, Syria, and they came here for a better life in search of them being a better generation than the generation past and on and on and on and on. And that's why people want to come to the U.S., right? Because they want those freedoms that you were just speaking of. They want freedom of religion. They want to be able to be educated. Women want to be able to get educated. They want to build careers. They want to not have to cover their faces. They want all of those freedoms. It has become a political position which separates Republicans and Democrats or liberals from Republicans at this point, which I think is really unfortunate because I think of it as being a libertarian, right? Or being politically agnostic and just appreciating that in the U.S. you have that freedom to do anything. But now I find that I get people who say, of course, you think that way because you're a Republican. And I have to look at them and say, well, no, actually, I'm a mom of three daughters, and I want to make sure that my kids can always drive a car, can always go to school, can always have their own business if they want to, or they could choose to stay at home. I want them to have the freedom to decide what they want to do, and that's what it is in the U.S., I'm Catholic, but if they want to be Buddhist, go right ahead, right? That's the wonderful part of being here. But I feel as though all of those rights and freedoms are being taken away from us today because we're being told how to think. I've been getting, this is going to what you were saying about your granddaughter. So my little one is going to be 10 and she's not vaccinated. Because for me, it is emergency use only and for that age group. And I refuse to put anything in her body that is not fully FDA approved until I have to. The mayor of Boston decided that you cannot enter a restaurant, an entertainment venue, which means, by the way, museums. You can't go to a restaurant and you can't go into a gym without being vaccinated. Well, so that means that in order to take my my 10-year-old to the Museum of Science or to the aquarium, I would need to show her vaccine card coming up in May. For adults, it's right now, but for little right, ones, it's right. in May. I, re- I said, I'm not going to ever take her anywhere. I'm not no, going to no, be bullied by you. the government no, no. to put something in my daughter's body that isn't the FDA doesn't even believe in. And, and there is no science. So, so the science is that if you have the vaccine, you're not going to be hospitalized or, or die, which is a wonderful reason to get the vaccine. But it doesn't, what we've seen because of Omicron is that it doesn't prevent you no. from still getting COVID. Exactly. So if we're going to get it and there's no absolute, little kids have a better chance of dying from cancer, drowning, or car accidents than they do from COVID. So there's absolutely no data to support any of the the mandates, especially for these little ones. And so 
it, it, seeing what government is trying to do and, and then it makes everyone else crazy, right? Because everyone walks around saying, it, are, are you vaccinated? Is she vaccinated? Well, you, if she's not vaccinated, then you shouldn't take her out. Well, that's my kid. And so I can decide if I want to well, bring I mean, her out and what her risk is. I think the whole tracking thing was the beginning of this disaster because everyone's pointing fingers at each other saying, you gave it to me, you gave it to me, you gave it to me. Why did you go there? And you, I mean, it's just insanity. We have turned this world upside down with this insanity of pointing fingers, of accusing people. You know, one of the things I'd be concerned about now, I'm just talking as mama, um, with your, your child is to make sure that she doesn't feel the repercussions or guilt for the decision that you have made. Because many of her friends will shun her or make fun of her or not include them in their birthday parties because their parents won't let them. She needs to understand that the decision her mother has made has been made out of love and compassion and understanding of the science behind it and, and knows and loves her enough to do what's right for her. That's a hard thing for a 10 year old to understand. So my heart goes out to you, but I think that we have a serious mental health crisis looming. And I'm not saying about your daughter, God bless her. I'm saying in general, because we put masks on these kids. We tell them, don't touch other children. We tell them, be careful where you go. Don't touch things. Don't be, this is the, I grew up, talk to everyone, say hi to everyone, you know, kiss your, your aunt and uncle. Hello. Kids now are being told, don't go near, don't touch. It, that psychologically, we are social beings. We survive by being interrelated and being around other human beings. When you take that away, you end up with a beast. You end up with a monster, an angry person who doesn't, isn't able to cope socially, isn't able to cope in, in circumstances and situations because they don't know how to handle all these feelings. And then comes the guilt. Oh my God, I got COVID. <gasps> what if I gave it to my friend, Betsy? What if I gave it to my mother? In my case, I gave it to my baby, to Cece. I gave COVID to my granddaughter. Do you know how awful that was? Mm. Guilt, 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 guilt. But it's a virus. It doesn't have any feelings. It doesn't have a race. It doesn't have a, a, a monetary or a social value. It's a virus. It doesn't care. It's going to go everywhere. And it's going to go as fast as it possibly can. That's what a virus does. And we have to understand that and educate our children that they are victims too, and that it's not their fault. It, it's a very sad situation. And her and I have had this conversation before, and she doesn't have a ton of friends who have been vaccinated yet, thankfully. Um, but, you know, the mask and not being able to see someone's face to be in, in a classroom all day long, she wears that mask. And I have to say to her sometimes, honey, you can take it down. It's okay. We're outside. Right. And in Boston right now, it's, you know, 20 degrees as a high. <laughs> it's like, there's, there's nothing living. <laughs> there, there's no way anything is living in this air right now. Um, but, but again, I think it goes, it goes back to accountability of our leaders and making sure that our leaders are listening 
to the professionals, right? Just like as a lawyer, I would not represent myself. I would not want, not think that my doctor would do his own knee replacement surgery. I think that, you know, our leaders need to pay attention to those folks that are actually the professionals. And we, we see it going back to what I was saying before about the ego. I think what we see a lot of times in elected office is that people are there for their ego, because they do like to see their faces on TV. They do like to hear themselves speak. They're in the echo chamber of the halls of Congress or in our legislatures, and they only talk to each other and they don't talk to anyone else. And they don't actually speak to their constituency and they're not taking the advice of the professionals, which is why we need outsiders. We need outsiders to run. We need people from other parties that are, you know, not, not the party in power. We need the opposition party because we need those opposition voices, which is why I think it's awesome that you're running for the seat because we need someone like you in this area who's going to go to Congress and be a voice of reason. And you know what? It's not even for us in New England. It's for anyone who lives across the United States. We just need someone who's going in and not for their own career gain. You've had a fabulous career. You don't need to see your face on Fox News. You've already I, been I, on I don't TV, want to right? see my face on Fox News. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I'm smart you're doing enough to this know that right usually reasons. when you're on TV, it's because you've done something wrong, not because you've done something right. So anytime I see my face on TV, I get a little bit concerned. And, and that comes from the eyes of a journalist. I mean, it's, it's just part of it. I want to share an interesting story with you because a lot of people say, how did you ever become a journalist? This is exactly what happened. And it gives you a sense of my determination and just how single focused I am. When I was eight years old, I was watching the news with my grandpa and my uncle Larry. Of course, every night we watched Walter Cronkite. I had supper, then Walter Cronkite, that, you know, that was the routine. And I was watching a story that one of the reporters did, and I was just blown away by the fact that this person got to go out and talk to all these people and travel around and see wonderful places. And I, I turned around to my grandfather and my uncle. I said, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. I am going to travel around and, and talk to people and tell their stories and help them. And both of them laughed at me and they said, you can't do that. You're a girl. Well, in the 60s, they were right. I was a girl and girls didn't do that. But it was at that moment. And I remember this precise moment that Gail said, you know what? You're going to do that. You're going to do that because that's what you want to do. And nobody else tells you what you are and aren't going to do. So that's the kind of determination that I bring to life. And that's the determination that that I think we need in Congress, somebody who's willing to stand up. And like I said, say no to Joe. I couldn't agree more. So how are things going on the camp? First of all, being as someone who has run for office myself, I, I did love campaigning. I thought it was so did fun you? to meet. I did. I loved campaigning. <laughs> I also loved being pregnant, right? So I mean, I'm one of those people. Oh my God. You got something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just someone of those people who loves torture. Um, You're a masochist. <laughs> yes. I loved campaigning. I loved being able to walk up to different people and, and hear perspectives and talk to the person on the street and I had so much fun doing it. Are you enjoying it? What are, what are you seeing out there? And I know you have a couple of opponents, uh, Republican opponents, but I mean, you're running your own race and we all know we have to run for ourselves. So what's going on out on the campaign trail? 
Um, well, okay. So first of all, if it was one person or a hundred, wouldn't make any difference. I mean, I don't pay any attention to, to what their campaigns are or their strategies because mine is only about one thing. And that is beating the Democrat who's currently in the seat, Chris Pappas. We have to fire Chris Pappas. We have to take back the seat if we're going to stop Joe Biden and take back the house. So, all right, back to, to that conversation, but I love parts of it. I'm going to be brutally honest with, with you and, and, and all of your listeners. I love meeting new people. I mean, as a reporter, I did that every day. So there are days I would meet hundreds of people a day. Love it. Love to talk to people, love to learn about them, love to hear their stories, love to, to share with them. Um, I love every part of that. I hate fundraising. And politics, a large part of running for office is that you have to raise money. You have to raise money to get your message out. I think it's the ultimate irony that I was on TV for 30 years. And now I have to raise thousands of dollars to pay a t my TV station that I worked at to put me on TV, which is absurd. I mean, if you think about the irony in that, it's absurd, I <laughs> but I have to get my message out. And, you know, we're doing that on social media. We're doing that, obviously, podcasts. We're doing that on the radio. We're doing that in letters. We're doing that in uh, newspaper letters and op-eds. I mean, every way we can, we're trying to explain and, and, and educate people as to what's happening in Washington and why we need to make a change. That's what's important. And it's not about me. It's not about Gail. It could be Gail or Bill or Jim or Tom. I don't care who it is. Is. We have to take five seats in the House. Whoever that is, we have to take five seats. That's what we have to do. I'm simply stepping up and saying, okay, I'll be one of those people because we have to do this. And I feel like, you know, this is a time that, that calls for that. Again, I had never planned to do this. This wasn't something that I thought, oh, gee, someday I'm going to run for Congress because I want to spend hours a day begging people for money. And I want to spend hours a day, you know, doing things that aren't always fun. But I believe strongly in what we're doing in this country and democracy. I spent four years down under in New Zealand with Scottish U.S. ambassador appointed by President Trump every single day fighting back against China. Every day, China is eating up the South Pacific, eating it up. Islands are literally being militarized by the week. They bring in ships, they bring in planes, oh. and it's very clever the way they do it. New Zealand, where we were, where Scott was ambassador, their number one trade partner is China. Their prime minister is communist. That's the truth. So every single day as Americans and the America first agenda, which is what we were put there to fight for, we had to fight as hard as we could against China, against Russia, against all the forces in that area. And again, this is the Pacific, the number one trade route in the world. Okay. And there are major, major, major conflicts there that hopefully, you know, you hope they don't escalate to a point of war, but it's a very precarious situation there right now. And our job was to help push back against that. And you realized while you were there that being an American was a lot more than you think it is because people from all around the world, I was dealing with different languages and cultures and religions and everything. And you realize that, yeah, everyone does wanna to come to America because we have freedoms here. They will never know. To get some of the women to come to our meetings, I was president of the diplomatic spouses. I would have to go and ask their husbands 
I had to ask their husband's permission. And then if they came to the meeting, all men had to leave the building because they were not allowed to be in a room with other men. This is the world in 2021-22. Holy cow. This is the world we live in. You can't see my face as my mouth is dropping and my eyeballs are popping out of my head with that. And we need, I mean, we need to stop that, right? Which is why, again, I go back to, we need you in Congress and um, it'd be much nicer to have, you know, multiples of five seats that we can take and, and, you know, make sure. Maybe we will. And, and, and make sure that there's there's discussion about all of this because you you have seen this different perspective. So I'm assuming so when you're out on the campaign trail in New Hampshire, are they are people more? I mean, everyone kind of is dealing with the same thing, right? We're all dealing with, you know, can we put food on a table and how much money does it cost? You know, how much is it for gas? But are there issues that you're seeing on the campaign trail from folks that are any different than, than you know, what I always talk about, which is the meat and potato and kitchen table issues? Are there other things going on up there? Well, I think New Hampshire, we're very unique. We are the live for your die state. And we take that very seriously. When other states were enforcing and forcing vaccines and forcing masks, some people, that was not happening in New Hampshire. I mean, we take our freedom so seriously. So I think that we lead the nation when it comes to responding to many things, whether it's school choice. I mean, you have choice for education here for your children more than I think any state in the country. We are very, very fortunate here in New Hampshire. So I'm going to start by that. But then I'll I'll add to that. The thing I hear over and over and over again is the cost of gas, the cost of home heating oil. For instance, just yesterday, uh, our neighbor uh, ran out of oil and nobody was available to come up and fill the oil tank. So they had no heat for several days. And that's because this, it's very cold in New England this time of year. We had a cold snap. They didn't watch their oil gauge. They let the oil run out. And guess what happens? You don't have heat. So in some parts of the world, that's a danger. You can die, right? If you don't have a heated home. And we are paying so much more for our home heating oil this winter than we have ever paid. And we've been in this house in Rye for 31 years, and I've never seen oil prices like I'm seeing now. So I I would say home eating oil and and the cost of gas uh, are are the two main, what I would call sort of economic, or as you say, kitchen tables uh, issues. But but the other thing is COVID. Everything's COVID. Mm. Everything's COVID. You know, vaccinate, don't vaccinate, sick, not sick, you know, open buildings, not open buildings. And of course, it's left up to each individual town here there are no statewide rules. So if I go into Portsmouth, New Hampshire, I have to wear a mask everywhere in buildings. If I'm in Rye, New Hampshire, where I live, I don't have to. If I'm, It all depends on what town you're in. So, you know, I have boycotted all towns that uh, require masks because I won't shop there. Uh, even though, if it's a mom and pop, I will make an exception. I'll put on a mask and go in. But um, I will not encourage what the uh, government officials in in these communities are doing by forcing people to do things that they don't want to do. Now, I'm vaccinated. And again, I don't have a problem wearing a mask. You know, if you want me to wear a mask, I'll wear one, even though, you know, we know they don't do much good. Um, But it's, you know... (laughs) 
I, I think that COVID is going to be the thing that that we are going to be looking at probably well into the next election, the midterms, because we're already looking at a new variant that has popped up. We have three cases in the U.S. and we have thousands of cases in other parts of the of the world of this new variant that we don't know enough about yet. So, I mean, we're just going to keep going from one variant to the other because this is a virus. That's what viruses do. Wait, isn't it that um, Biden's own team of medical experts during the transition, it, they wrote a op-ed recently saying that they have advised the president that we need to get back to a new version of normal and just live with this and understand yep. that it's not going to go away. I mean, and and so of course this is, I mean, these are that's the conversation that I hear all the time is everything. I, I run a um I run a, a political discussion table once a month, and the conversation is consistently COVID because it now has affected us. It's no longer a virus. It is now that it has affected us on the political level, right? Because it's the I, you know, someone's always wearing a mask versus the person who doesn't want to wear the mask. It's the person who's vaccinated and the person who's not vaccinated. It's the vaccinated person who doesn't want to wear a mask. And it's the vaccinated mask wearer who never wants to take the mask off and, and right. you know, still wants to social distance and do all the other things. Who's and driving so, down the street alone in their car. In their car with the mask on. <laughs> Worst drivers ever. I have tweeted about that. Like we need to have a mandate against wearing a mask in a car and driving because it makes them the worst drivers in the world. Um, but I mean, I think it has become so political because as you were saying, local officials are deciding so city of Boston, you are not only vaccinated, but you also have to wear a mask. That makes no sense. At least if you go to LA, you wear a mask, you are vaccinated, you walk in, you can take your mask off, right? But everywhere, it's like you leave and leave the city and go 20 miles out and you don't have to wear a mask. It doesn't matter. So it, the, it's not, it's all, it's so political now that you cannot get away from these conversations. Because people don't know what to believe and they don't trust the government. They don't trust the CDC. They don't trust Dr. Fauci. They don't trust the information coming out. They don't trust so many things right now. How are we going to reinstill trust and hope in our society? That's what we have to do for your little 10 year old and my granddaughter. They can't be growing up in fear and this constant vigilance against some monster out there. They have to believe in hope and they have to believe that things are going to get better and they have to have optimism. I mean, that's what life's about. It's not this craziness of, of running around and hiding in our houses and, and not talking to people and being afraid. That's not the way we're intended to live. That's not the way we're intended to live. And so I continue to live my life, again, vaccinated and being careful. And I'm, I have an 82-year-old mother who's high risk, so I'm very careful around her. I have a, a paralyzed and high-risk sister, um, and I'm very careful around her because, you know, God forbid, I don't want them. To, to get COVID or I don't want them to get anything. I don't want them to get the flu. I don't want, I mean, I've had the bird flu. That was far, far, far oh, worse. God. Yeah. And I've had COVID. I, the bird flu is far worse than COVID. Yeah. Far worse. So, I mean, you know, this is the new reality and we have to fight, want, find a way to live in it and to be happy in it and to Please. hope again. You know, what's really interesting. So if we back up 
And now, I mean, this administration has been there, the Biden-Harris administration has been there for a year now. And, um, and we're in a worse position today than we were a year ago. And when Trump left office, and as much of, I mean, you know, you don't have to comment on Trump. I thought he was he was bullish, and I wish that he someone would take his phone away from him every night when he started. <laughs> we, his tried. Tweet, we tried. We tried. Rants. <laughs> yeah, we tried. <laughs> um, but but I think his policies were awesome. And one of the things that he did before he left office that he doesn't get credit for, this administration takes credit for it, is Operation Warp Speed and oh, getting yes. those vaccines out, right? And again, the standard back then in 2020 was keeping the hospitals open for people who really needed it and preventing deaths. And so that's what the vaccine was intent. The original intent was meant to do was for those people who were older, who had medical conditions and all of that for everyone to get vaccinated. Of course, we all ran out. I mean, I was in Florida when it first came out and I got my first vaccine in Florida because they had it before Massachusetts. But I remember Kamala saying when Trump was talking about working with the pharmaceutical companies to develop a vaccine. She said that she was not going to get any vaccine that came from Trump. Exactly. And who do we see? We a lot. I know here in Massachusetts, a lot of folks that aren't vaccinated are communities of color. And I have brought this up to to Democrats when I'm debating with them is how do you get back into those communities after she she said that she was not going to take the vaccine and then say to them, well, now you have to be vaccinated in order to go to work, in order to ride a bus, in order to do anything, you now need to be vaccinated. And so I, I think it's, you know, those are things that I feel like need to be pointed out is that the, pre- the vice president of the United States goes all out saying that she wants mandates. She, you know, fakely wears that mask. She giggles at everything because she doesn't have an actual response. But, you know, does anyone, and no one is pointing out that she was the first violator of this because she said it was Trump's vaccine. Now suddenly they take the credit and they want everyone to be vaccinated. I, well, it was the, Trump's the hypocrisy. vaccine. Right. It was Trump's vaccine. Yeah, but the, it was. The, and thank God. The hypocrisy of, of this administration to say, I'm, you know, for her to say, I'm not, I'm not going to take it and then mandate people to take something that she said that she wasn't going to take. Right. And I mean, I think having, again, having other voices out there who remember what happened past a year ago and remember, you know, I think that the Democrats consistently want to focus on January 6th and forget all the good stuff that the previous administration did instead of saying that the previous administration let COVID go, let people die. By the way, does anyone talk about the fact that more people have died under this administration and its COVID policies than the last administration? Oh, I know. I know. It's very well documented. More than more than twice as many. So, I mean, that's a shame. That's terrible. And for those poor families. But I think we consistently we there is there is a forgetfulness with most politicians in wanting to forget about what happened previously. Um, But I think that it's important when we have when we have elections 
to have new voices come in, be able to ask the tough questions, be able to point to what has happened in history and set the record straight and make sure that, you know, we're not the 75 million people who didn't vote for Joe Biden are not being taken by this administration and laying down and being told, you know, no, you can't do that because you don't agree with everything that we're saying. I'd like to add something. One of the things I saw down in the South Pacific, there are a lot of, in the Pacific Islands, there are thousands of islands. And of course, um, you know, we traveled to many of them because that was part of the job as ambassador to that region. And the indigenous people live very simply and they live according to, um, you know, their ancestors and they still live in huts. They still live, uh, you know, many don't have running water. It's a, it, it's a very, very, um, I'm going to say simple. It's a very simple lifestyle. Style. Um, it's not that they're not educated. It's not that they're not that they're stupid. Nothing like that. This is how they choose to live. This is how they choose to live. In their culture, they don't believe in vaccines. This is a cultural thing. So it's not a question of is it available? Is it not available? How do we make it available? They don't have the money. It's none of those things. Culturally, they don't believe in them. And it's because they don't believe in putting chemicals into their bodies. They only live a natural lifestyle. That is what they fundamentally believe. It is inscribed in their religion. It's inscribed in their lifestyle. It's inscribed in their diets. It's That's how they live their lives. So to have this very arrogant and elitist idea that African-Americans are not getting the vaccine because it's not available in their communities, nothing could be further from the truth. Many of them don't believe in it. They don't want it. They don't want chemicals in their bodies. They, for whatever reason, but we have to respect that and not treat them like they don't know better or treat anyone who chooses not to get a vaccine like they don't know better. Maybe they know better than the rest of us and we don't know better. Think about that. Maybe this is experimental. We don't know what's coming down the road in five years. We don't know what the effects are going to be. And guess what? Some of us may not even be around when we find out what the effects are. We look back at drugs and vaccines over the years and some of the side effects we learned many, many, many years later. And that's the truth, you know? I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I believe in vaccines. I vaccinated my children. Uh, I'm vaccinated. My family's vaccinated for COVID. But I have a great compassion and I think greater understanding uh, of those people who aren't and, and, and don't choose to go that route. And I think they need to be respected and they need to be heard and they need to know that their government hears them. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's, that's why I think I do what I do and I try to always go back to my being my inner 16 year old, right? I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I mean, someone one day was like, uh, that sounds like you're a libertarian. I'm like, whatever it's called, it's my inner 16 year old. Don't tell me what to do. Wait, wait, is that Contessa? Is that Contessa? <laughs> yes, that's, <laughs> that's exactly why. <laughs> that's why, that's why okay. I picked the name. <laughs> okay. It's my, I, I my like inner that. 16 year old. And I, and I, I enjoy my freedom. I enjoy being able to be a woman with my own thoughts and my own mind and be able to run my own household. And, um, and, you know, it goes with my pocketbook project, which is to, women control the purse strings. Right. And so I never want to see those freedoms taken away. So Gail, 
Yeah, I am. I wish I could vote in your election. Um, I wish you could too. <laughs> hey, we have same day registration, so come on up. Oh God, I I hope we don't get it here. We've tried uh, to get rid of it. We've tried oh. to get rid of it, and we haven't been able to. And people come in, and they they just they say, oh yeah, I'm I'm domiciled down the street, and they sign an affidavit claiming they do, and then they go vote, and then nobody follows up on it, and they oh. do it. Oh God. Well, maybe I should get an Airbnb and then I have a, <laughs> I have a domicile. Exactly. For that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not promoting that. I swear I'm not promoting that. Um, but I'm very excited that you're in this race. It gives thank me you. so much hope because oh, thank you. you have such a positive spirit and you are so eloquent and you are so exciting to talk to. And, um, and I think that you are just what we need. And I wish that we could replicate you around the country and, um, have other women like (laughs) my husband would, my husband would hate you for that. He'd say, no, one gale is enough. No more. We're going to clone you. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him, but But, thank you. um, So where can we find you? And I do want to put in a plug for you because I do, again, with, um, up there with being pregnant and loving campaigning, I actually always love to fundraise too. That was, that was oh, you just loved. admitted something you never should have I done. Know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I love doing it for myself. For some reason, it was really different when I was, when I was campaigning for myself and fundraising for myself because it was me doing right. And it was, right, it was right. so different. But I would love to have you out there and be able to plug your website. And thank you. Yes. Clearly, you. there's a donate button on there. Oh, my. How did you know that? Oh. There has to be. There, again, you know, we have to raise, I don't know, a couple million dollars to get our message out. Um, so you can tweet me at Gail Huff Brown. Or you can go to my website, which we just released on January 1st. I'm really proud of it because we put a lot of work into it. All of my positions are on there. Every issue you can imagine, um, you know, all of our media and and everything that we've done so far. Um, And I would encourage people to go to it because um, there are a lot of things that hopefully they'll learn, you know, from from reading that. And that's Congress. And I just want to plug, since we have, uh, I'm sure a lot of female listeners, I have a a really badass picture on there of me when I was traveling in the Middle East. If that teases anyone to go onto my website, I welcome that. Uh, Because again, one of the things you have to do if you're willing to run for office is you have to put yourself out there. And, uh, you know, I'm putting myself out there and, and I'm saying, yeah, I need help. We need help if we're going to change the direction of this country. And, and I appreciate what you're doing to, to bring voices out to people. And I want to tell people out there because like my neighbor, I've been bugging her and I say, you have to run, you have to run, you have to run. Now she's running for school committee. Oh, Another awesome. one of my friends is running for uh, selectman. I am telling every woman I run into, it's time to stand up and be heard. You know what? Democrats and liberal women and progressive women have been doing this for years, but we have for some reason been silenced. We, conservative, strong women, need to stand up and we need to represent. And that's all I'm doing. All right. Well, maybe you should be hosting this podcast. No, 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 no. And I've been there, done that. No, thank you. (laughs) And I'll get you to uh, run Pocketbook Project. That that is exactly. I love that. That that just like makes my heart all gooey and mushy and just that is that is so exactly what we need to do. We need more women with strong voices 
who are yep. going to be out there and not afraid of the retaliation. And it's not being rude. It's not being disrespectful. It's having a conversation with people who disagree with you, but doing the disagreeing, you know, agreeing that you're going to disagree, doing it respectfully, being kind, but bringing your points to life because we all walk a different road. We all walk a different mm-hmm. path. Absolutely. And it's very important to hear different perspectives. And I think we, we have moved away from that. And, um, and I thank you for encouraging other women to run. Um, Gail, I wish you all the best. Thank you. I'm so excited to see where this all goes. Um, I hope that this helps and, uh, and other people start following you and tweeting and nice tweets. No one tweet anything rude. Thank you very much for being here with me today. And thank you for being with me on this episode of Political Contessa with my friend, Gail Huff Brown, who is running for New Hampshire's first congressional district to unseat a liberal Democrat and bring some reason and rationale back to Congress. So Gail, thank you very much and stay healthy and happy and safe. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. 